Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I'm joined by returning guest, Jocelyn Codner, to talk all about music horror. Yay! Thank you so much for having me back. I love coming on Books in the Freezer. Yeah, thank you for coming back. I know we've been talking about doing this for forever. Yes, (laughs) this has been a long time in the works. So I'm glad we are finally we are finally here to record. We've been reading, like reading and watching. Oh my god, so many things leading up to this. The academic struggle. <laughs> we are talking music in horror, which man, we got to watch a lot of really fun movies, a lot mm-hmm. of there's a lot of first time watches. Yes. And a lot of watches that should have been first time watches, but then um, someone <laughs> ran out of time. <laughs> so, we will get to that. Yes, <laughs> it'll happen. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> How do you see the theme of music show up in horror? I, you know, this is a really great question and thing to talk about. I would be, I'm interested to hear what your response is to this, because I definitely saw things repeated in terms of use of music in horror um, literature. Also, you know, comparable in film, there are a couple different ways I see it pop up. Um, I saw in the books that I read for this episode, I saw music pop up um, as an atmospheric tool to help set the stage Mm -hmm. and um, help really paint the picture of what was going on in the book. Um, I feel like that is a common occurrence in horror film. We always talk about the needle drops and things like that. But I also saw it pop up as a tool both mm-hmm. for yes. good and evil. Yeah, I saw that pop up a lot. And I also saw it pop up as um, kind of like a weapon, you know? I guess that falls under tool, but like I think music, I see it pop up as um, kind of like a medium of mm-hmm. sorts that allow kind of like magic, that have allowed characters to have extra powers or to do things they normally wouldn't do. And I also saw it pop up as um an actual weapon <laughs> i guess we'll talk about this it's it's a little more nuanced um but there were a lot of different ways that music was being featured in these stories yes i did see it as a a conduit for supernatural yes powers. conduit is the right word yes <laughs> or curses or mm-hmm. like the the music itself like a vinyl record or yeah like Lords of Salem or one I saw too was kind of the culture around music Mm -hmm. and concerts like Jennifer's Body absolutely like where it's not like the music itself it is the culture of how badly these people want success yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and also the opportunity that music and the culture of music offered the characters in the stories. Um, one of the books that I read that I'm going to mention later, the music, the role of the music brought people together in a festival setting, which became the stage for yes. the horrors, right? Mm-hmm. So um, there's a lot of that happening both in the books and the movies. Like the, the culture and communal aspect mm-hmm. of music. And the values that some of the music espouses as well. You know, that culture 
has their own set of values. Each musical tradition, the culture surrounding that have their own values. And that definitely played a role in what was happening and what the characters' choices were and why why they were in positions that they were in in the first place. I was going to ask, like, what, why do you think genre wise there's always like certain types of music yes <laughs> that are featured as like the I tried so hard I tried so hard to have a variety and it is so hard there's very specific types of music that are featured <laughs> in horror and um I mean I think it's different for each genre of music that's featured obviously like metal music was like a big bugaboo for folks during the satanic panic mm-hmm. um that you know played a big role is directly tied to this concept of satan evil etc and then the blues is featured a lot yes i noticed um blues and jazz and i feel like that and i'll i'm going to talk more about this with one of my books that has a direct connection to that concept of the united states as a haunted house which i just love that concept um it it is a direct line to our own horrors and our history. So I feel like that's the reason why blues and jazz pop up a lot. Um, I do have, there's another genre that popped up in my reading, but honestly, those were the only two. There was just basically like metal and rock and then like blues. <laughs> Did you encounter any other kinds? Um. Okay. So in my reading, I do have, one is kind of an, indie band uh mm-hmm. acid folk rock okay okay and i was thinking the perfection that's like very classical mm-hmm. that's true yeah the the mania i think there's there's like when you think about um like the film amadeus mm-hmm. and mozart and and also like beethoven and bach and all of their their legacies there is a weird connection to mania there where it's like oh they got so wrapped up in the work and they're they're just like these geniuses that they are devoted to the music and they lose themselves in it and um it's interesting that classical music at least i grew up in a house that listened to a lot of classical music and i played classical music as a flutist for a long time there absolutely is a connection there and when you read up on different pieces and different composers Sometimes what they're writing is about hell or about Satan or about witches or about demons. Um, and sometimes there's there are cases of classical music. I think it was the, the Rite of Spring caused riots because people became so um, overwhelmed and they were worked into a fervor that like because they'd never heard something so hardcore before. <laughs> it was like the first time that something that wild had been um, performed live and they just lost their minds and literally rioted. Uh, so like, yeah, well, that's like the first true. mosh pit. Yes. Yeah. And this was like in the, oh, I'm not even going to try and date it. I don't remember the 1800s is some for you, but, um, but yeah, it was just like they music is a direct connection to like our, our souls, our bodies. Like it is such a full body mind experience that um, yeah, it really, we have involuntary reactions sometimes. Um, So it's another thing about music and perhaps horror, this connection between the two and religion. There's, it's no wonder that music is so closely tied to religion. Um, It is just, it affects us like almost nothing else does. Maybe food is the other thing that affects us the same. I had a few things. I was going to ask you about your expertise as a classical. (laughs) I would love to talk to (laughs) us. Love to talk about my flautist or flutist. (laughs) 
Uh, in the U.S., we usually say flutist. In the rest of the world, I think flautist okay. is more often. I, I switch on and off sometimes, but see, flutist. <laughs> I'm from the United States. <laughs> uh, yeah, I grew up playing classical flute. My dad was a music teacher for decades. My family's very musical. My husband is a musician. Um, I don't think there's anything more important in my life than music. Um, it, it ties my whole life together. It's more important to me than books. <laughs> it's like the top. I'm I'm very connected to music. It's my favorite thing. I love to listen to it. I listen to all genres. Mm-hmm. Um, we love going to lots of live music. Uh, for the listeners, we've Stephanie and I have seen live music together. It's yeah. always been a great time. <laughs> and that is like a big part of my life. And I still play flute. I play Irish flute now. Um, and that has been really fulfilling as an adult to just like have that outlet. Yeah. And it's helped me through a lot. I love that. I love that that's something that you've been doing for, I mean, forever and you're still doing mm-hmm. it. Yeah. It, it's, it is so nice to just have that mm-hmm. as something that I can pick up when I need it. Um, how about you? Do you play music at all? I took piano for like a year and a half. <laughs> in high school mm-hmm. and then only stopped because I I went to college like I took it on like yeah. way later and like I I enjoyed it I really liked the puzzle of like kind of figuring out new pieces of music yeah. and like reading and kind of like until I could like hear the song and I'm like okay yes I get it I'm definitely it's not satisfying. naturally musically gifted <laughs> I uh, think very few people are yeah. it comes down to practice mostly yeah. I know my husband, like many people, <laughs> bought a guitar during COVID. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he does practice like every day. And I know he gets mm-hmm. like so much joy over like, you know, mm-hmm. finding new music and kind of like figuring out like a cool riff that he heard. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My husband also plays guitar. I think our husbands have talked to each other about playing guitar, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, for him, I my husband's been in bands like his whole life since he was an adolescent and um, guitar and music, he, he produces, writes, records, produces like all of his own original music. And for him, I know it's an extremely important outlet as well. So yeah, I think, I guess anyone out there who is an adult who either played music when they were a kid or never played music before in their lives, but are curious about what it might be like or, or might want to pick up an instrument, I highly encourage you to do it. You can do it. Your time is not past. It will enrich your life. And um, all it really takes is like 10 minutes of practice a day, and then you can build it up and try to work in more time here and there. It's really just about consistency. So don't think that it's not in the cards for you. If it's something you really want to try, totally do it. Yeah. I know that my piano teacher I don't think didn't start playing until her like late 30s, early 40s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I felt like she had a very strong grasp of like theory. <laughs> oh, yeah. Music theory is actually really tough. Yeah. <laughs> I am not a theorist at all. I don't care. <laughs> I just play it. As listeners probably know, because I have mentioned it on several episodes, I did grow up um, in a very fundamentalist sect of christianity where we were not allowed to listen to secular music all secular music was called rock music which was something that always (laughs) bugged me as someone who like loves listening to music Mm. i'm like that's not really rock i would classify that more as yeah right this is um indie thanks acoustic (laughs) just remember all these like sermons about like the evils of rock music (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, I got a couple books that address that directly. (laughs) It's so weird, the range of music's role in religion. For some religions, it's the the boogeyman, right? Mm -hmm. And then in other religions, it's like a main tenant of how you worship. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating where people or how people interpret music and um, what its role should be in their lives and in the lives of the people around them. I mean, yeah, the sect I grew up in had really strict rules around what music should be and especially percussion. Like there was not allowed to be like any drums Whoa. in the music you listen to unless it was That's somehow rough. this like had to be like orchestral. Anyway, there was a lot of rules. Their big rule was like... <laughs> Music should move your spirit, not your body. So if it causes you to move your body, then it is of the devil. I mean, I would say that's impossible. You can't have like one where the music does all of it. (laughs) So that's probably why you couldn't really listen to much music at all. No. Everything is bad when you're you're going with that rubric. Yeah. (laughs) Well, should we get into some of the movies? Yeah. yeah. Blend music and horror. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Got some good ones. I was thinking Lords of Salem because that is mm-hmm. like cursed vinyl. Yes. Which we will also talk about later as yeah. a concept. But. <laughs> and it also has this level of disorientation throughout mm-hmm. the film that um, music is a great way to illustrate that because music can make us feel that way. And in some of the books that we're going to mention, like that vibe is repeated. Yeah, definitely that. This is the yeah the rob zombie movie where sherry moon plays a a dj like a overnight and she gets sent this vinyl and she it's called it's from the lords of salem and she plays it over the radio and she is not aware of the consequences <laughs> of playing that vinyl it is a weird movie yeah and everyone that i've made watch it <laughs> does not like it <laughs> You included. Yes. But I, I like I it. I am on the edge. I am on the edge. I think it's very aesthetic and it's really interesting. It is a fun, like, artsy movie. But I was like, mm, I don't know if I can get into this. Which is so understandable. You also watched Queen of the Damned. Yes. Oh, my God. Was it a first time watch? This was <gasps> a first time watch oh for gosh. me. <laughs> I was like texting my sister while I was watching it and she was losing her mind because this was like one of her favorite movies when she was a teenager and I'm a little older than my sister and for some reason I just like never sat down and watched it with her. Um, This movie was amazing. It also I would not say is a good movie (laughs) by any means. But um, it was so entertaining. It was absolutely hilarious. Like such a fun romp. Aaliyah is amazing in it. Mm -hmm. Like R.I.P. Yeah. But um, the greatest thing in the world watching this movie, like, I don't know, 20 years later, is that Lestat, this powerful old being who is so fed up with humanity and the world that he is committed to going into like a deep slumber because he's like, I'm sick of this. I just need a long nap so I don't have to, you know, I can cleanse my soul and my mind and everything and come out of it refreshed. He is awoken from his long nap by the irresistible tones of new metal he cannot stay slumbering any longer once he hears the opening riff of uh down with the sickness he's like i gotta go i gotta get out of here among us (laughs) i need to leave my crypt (laughs) 
and like corn is like drawing him out of his like louisiana uh, graveyard so he can rejoin society at the height of musical art and as someone who was you know peak teen during the new metal times I have such a soft spot for new metal. I, and if other people out there like new metal as well, I highly recommend this podcast called the POD cast. That's cast with a K where they break down uh, seminal works in new metal. They analyze oh full albums <laughs> and it's two of the funniest guys ever. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> But yeah, Lestat ends up fronting a new metal band because he's so drawn to this art form. And um, and he builds all he becomes one of the most famous musical artists in the world. And he builds this reputation for being a real vampire amongst normos. Like people are really buying into his shtick. They're like, yeah, it's fake, but also is it? And he's like not hiding anything. He's just gobbling people up left and right. Um, and yeah, he has to use his music to fight an interspecies battle basically so i don't want to give anything away i don't want to spoil this decade multi-decades old movie but (laughs) multi-decades old book (laughs) yeah that's true even Even older book even older (laughs) he also uses music to like awaken an ancient Mm -hmm. vampire yeah that's right he has so lestat proves himself to be quite the virtuoso violinist and he um yes he uses his skill playing the violin to awaken um Aaliyah, basically so that's a fun that's a fun little detail he's just like a very talented musician <laughs> see i already mentioned the perfection have you seen that one no i haven't oh, i'm gonna have gosh. to watch it okay yeah. i don't want to say anything because i feel like that is a movie you need to go into kind of as blind mm. as possible that is like maximum enjoyment okay but there is a theme around classical music and this like academy for classical music Ooh, i love that that sounds great that's kind of giving me knowing like nothing about the movie just saying that it's about an academy of a classical art it's giving me suspiria vibes i cannot wait to hear what you think (laughs) so um oh i also watched we summon the darkness which was going back to music as culture and satanic panic Mm, which i don't mm -hmm. know if you've seen that with no alexandra daddario Johnny Knoxville. Wow. Very, hmm. not enough Johnny Knoxville TV, yeah. but yeah, it is essentially about the satanic panic and murders happening kind of in conjunction to like rock concerts Ooh. in the 80s. And I don't want to say too much else. Mm-hmm. Fair. Um, Fair. Also mentioned Jennifer's Body as another like culture of music concert. Oh. I just, I love the band and Jennifer's body so much. Low, Low shoulder. shoulder. <laughs> I mean, truly a cautionary tale against dating indie boys. Yes. No. And because it is true. Jennifer's body is a true text. It is uh, nonfiction. <laughs> and don't do it. Don't date indie rock boys as as someone who's done this. Don't do it. It is nothing but trouble. You are going to be sacrificed one way or the other. <laughs> It's maybe they won't be maybe they won't throw you into a waterfall but they'll find another way to do it <laughs> but yeah i just it's so funny to me the that the band's name is low shoulder it's just so funny i don't know why i can't explain why it makes me like cackle <laughs> every feel time like it's so perfect for that yeah late 2000s yes and their like, song oh my god 
It's just so and stupid. The, oh my god! And the Adam Brody of it all, who was oh. like in the two thousands, like yes. the indie boy. Oh my god, the indie boy. He plays like it Seth Cohen. Yeah. yeah, Seth. There are moments of Seth Cohen in the OC that I still like say his lines to this day, and like. I just assume everyone knows what I'm talking about. No, they don't, but I don't care. I love him to death. They are not as familiar with the iconic 2000s masterpiece that was the OC. No, apparently not, which to me is a staggering thing. Like, how could you not be very obsessed with it? It's whatever. (laughs) Everyone lives their lives differently, I guess. Okay. And then uh, Green Room. Yes. Okay. So this is Mm -hmm. my confession. (laughs) I have never seen Green Room. It is... A movie I should see, and anyone who knows me would be, like, surprised I have not watched Green Room for, like, a billion reasons. I kept telling Stephanie I was going to watch Green Room for this episode, and I didn't. (laughs) I ran out of time, but I will watch it ASAP. I kind of do understand, because I think knowing that it's going to be a stressful experience, it's tough to, like, make room for that and be Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to put on this knowingly very stressful movie yeah i need Uh, to have a plan before i go into it i need to have a day where i've got time where i can watch that and then i can watch something delightful after it like hocus pocus or something yeah something to cleanse the palate of having to watch uh, sir patrick stewart play a nazi i know it's just like really difficult as someone who grew up on next generation like it's it's tough to see i'm sure he's phenomenal oh he is that's also why it's hard yeah because he's probably very good at depicting this wretched human he's just a great actor yeah he's stunning um so it's about this punk band who is touring and i have not watched it in a minute so i forget the specifics about how they get this gig the point is they end up performing uh at this venue that is kind of this like neo-nazi like white supremacist like club venue and uh they do i think they open up their set with nazi punks fuck off oh yes yes of course i was actually going to bring this up because you know talking about culture around certain musical traditions um in punk yeah they had that whole and they still have neo-nazi problems they still have two like all these white supremacists that tried to infiltrate the culture and the scene and so you know the dead kennedys tried to do their part by doing nazi punks fuck off and you have to monitor your own scene like as someone who grew up like in a punk scene in a hardcore scene and my husband grew up in in similar scenes like you have to self-police your scenes and it makes sense that this band might have shown up not really knowing that this was like a white supremacy club and because a lot of the times it takes a second to figure mm-hmm. out, like, when you're in a punk show, like, how do you identify um, who might be a problem and who you need to, like, kind of get out of the get out of the venue and stuff. And if you're going to a venue, like, this is why a lot of communication is important. Like, you have to talk to other people in your scene um, so that you know what to expect, especially if you are in the punk scene in particular. Yeah. So I think after their set, one somebody goes back to the green room and essentially they see something they were not supposed to have seen and the higher-ups kind of make the call like okay these people can't leave they've seen too much and it is a standoff oh stressful it is so stressful it is so good (laughs) 
<laughs> I will watch it. I promise. Uh, well, speaking of the punk scene, I showed you I got that book. I think it was from Catapult. It was called like Black Punks Now. Yes. Black yes. Punk Now. It looks really good. Yeah, but it's an yeah, it's an anthology, so it's like essay collection, and there are like fictional short stories and comics. But it was essentially yeah about the history of like black punks and like where they've been and what they're doing now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fat. I I love music history mm-hmm. books. I love um anything that talks about like the history and current stance of whatever genre. Again, I love all genres of music. But that when you like sent me a picture of that when you got it, I got so excited because I especially like books that talk about the punk scene. So yeah, that I'm gonna be buying that very soon. Studio six 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 is the Foo Fighters basically. It's just like the Foo Fighters having a fun time. It came out last year. Um and it is the Foo Fighters as the Foo Fighters. I love that. Yeah, it's really cute. And they need a place to record their new album. And so they end up renting a house like kind of out of the way. And um, the house has a nasty history to it. And things start to go bad pretty quickly. And Dave Grohl is like possessed by spirit (laughs) to finish a demonic song. And um, he just it's it's silly. It's so fun. There are really gnarly kills. Everybody ends up dead for the most part. And um, basically, like, there is this evil, like, it's an occult kind of mm-hmm. story. Um, and they're trying to finish this evil song. And they use the Foo Fighters to do their bidding. Um, and it's just really adorable. And there's some really funny jokes in there about Foo Fighters and about Dave Grohl and everything. So it's they're not the greatest actors, as I'm sure folks can imagine. But if you want something silly and there, it is pretty gnarly in terms of gore and there's some fun kills. So if you want something like that, it's not really scary. Um, it's a great thing to pop on. And then Slumber Party Massacre 2 was so much fun. I know people know about this. I know people love this movie. But basically it is the follow-up to Slumber Party Massacre where some of the survivors from the first film have a band and they go, um, again, go to another location. They go to someone's house to like record and relax and like have a nice time. And they start getting slashered basically it all it all starts again like your classic slasher situation but the band in it like the girls band they're really good they're great it's like fun kind of like 80s pop rock they have like so much attitude and they're great like it sounds really good i don't know who they got to actually play the music but they're legit musicians it sounds awesome and uh yeah it was just like a fun you know standard slasher really fun rom so if you haven't seen slumber party massacre 2 you don't have to see the first one, but they are kind of connected. They actually are, they are pretty. Are um, they? Okay. Yeah, because they refer back to each other. Um, there's a lot of actually, um, there's a lot of trauma that is talked about from the first movie. Like oh, the wow. girls are dealing with the traumatic blowback from their experiences in the first movie. And that's kind of the main focus of the second movie, other than the music, of course, other than the band and how they're going to be famous. Um, but yeah, so you should you should watch both if you haven't seen either of them. But I've seen the first. So yeah. You could just jump into the second if you wanted to. Okay. I'm very excited to do that. Did you ever listen to the Black Tapes podcast? Yes, but it was a long time ago, so I'm not gonna remember I just Whatever remember that, like, <laughs> when it got closer to the end, they were in search of, like, 
a sound that was gonna like yeah. bring forth the end of the world and i remember they had like a snippet of it like it was one of the early episodes and they're like if you don't want to listen to it like just just skip ahead like they really hyped it up and i was like oh my gosh like should i be worried that was such a good podcast it was. i really really enjoyed that one because it was like, scary the unsound yes yeah this episode is brought to you by Fangoria, the world's best horror and cult film magazine since 1979. Listeners can use code Books in the Freezer to get 20% off their order. That includes, of course, merchandise and first time subscriptions and single issues of the magazine. Not only are there tons of articles and interviews about upcoming horror movies, there's a regular segment by Stephen Graham Jones all about slashers called Slasher Nation. So you're going to want a copy. So again, that is code Books in the Freezer. And thank you, Fangoria, for supporting the show. Well, should we get to the books? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so my first pick is... White Tears by Hari Kunzru. Uh, this came out in 2017, and I I feel like people don't talk about this book. I feel like, you know, it did moderately well when it came out, and Hari Kunzru is a pretty well-known author, and he's since published a lot of other buzzy books, but, like, this one really stuck in my brain, and this is the reason why I wanted to do this episode, was so I could talk about this book specifically. So White Tears is um, kind of an American ghost story, like in the vein of Beloved. That's what we're talking about, that kind of thing. Um, there are lots of trigger warnings for this book that go beyond just standard horror. Like there's um, a lot of racism. There's a lot of violence against Black people. Um, and so just FYI, if you're thinking about going into this book, it's very emotionally heavy. It's more of a revenge tale, like retribution for all of the originators of the Delta Blues. And so basically retribution for people who created American culture as a whole. <laughs> um, so we followed two characters for the most part. Seth is our main character, our main protagonist. He's shy and awkward. He is a guy who loves music production and he's very talented in it, but otherwise he doesn't really have much of a personality. He's the kind of person whose personality is his best friend. And his best friend is a guy named Carter, who is a super rich kid who's like desperate to prove his authenticity through collecting and hoarding only the most legit, in his opinion, of American blues recordings throughout history. And the more obscure the better, in his opinion. And that makes him more real. This is like his weird thing. So Carter is like one of those guys, one of those white guys who had white dreads. Like he's one of those dudes. Okay. He's that genre of person. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> We've all seen them. We've all had to deal with them. <laughs> um, so Carter and Seth, after college, they're college buds, they're roommates. They open a music production company and it's funded by Carter with his family's money. But what Carter doesn't know about Seth is that um, Seth has had episodes in his past where when he listens to certain music, usually music from the past, he starts to slip dimensions. He um, almost becomes like consumed by the music and gets sucked back in time. And um, it's a very like 
Twilight Zone feeling, but bleaker, even bleaker than Twilight Zone. So Seth has struggled with this, and he has done all of these things to try to prevent this from happening to him again. Mostly, he only listens to music um, from like the 80s and on. He he listens to electronic music the most. He doesn't listen to acoustic or, you know, this old school blues that um, Carter is really obsessed with. But Carter starts to collect this, these Delta Blues recordings, so it starts to come up more. And uh, one day, Seth is out making field recordings. They live in New York City, so he's like out in one of the parks, like making field recordings of just like street noises and stuff to play around with with his producing. And when he goes home to listen to the tapes, the tape has a mysterious tune on it being sung by an older black man. But the problem is that when Seth was actually in the park recording, there was no one singing in the park. There was no one playing music at all. So um, he doesn't know how this got on the recording, but Carter becomes super obsessed with this song and he's like loving it and he wants to like dig into it. So they do this weird thing where they actually make a record, like they turn it into a real recording and they make a fake pressing of this song. And then they post this to all of their like nerdy music collector message boards because they think it's a silly joke because it's not a real song. Like they can't find it anywhere. They have no like real song in quotes. It's never been recorded that they can find. So they think this is like a silly joke they can play on all these other collectors, but they get a response they weren't expecting. Like people start to ask very specific questions about the song and the vinyl that they found it pressed on. And they're like being hounded and, and they made it up. They're like, this isn't real. (laughs) Like, I don't know what you guys think, but like, this wasn't a real song. So this spirals out of control and the song just takes on its own life And Carter's obsession just grows and he sinks into the obsession and Seth starts to slip again in dimensions. And so the song's haunting them, basically. Um, So then a confusing tragedy happens. And uh, so I that was all set up. All that stuff that I just said is like set up for the actual horror of the book. Oh, my gosh. I know. (laughs) I know. I don't mean to ramble on. It's just like that's the setup. Um, So a very confusing and tragic thing happens. And Seth basically is left to uncover the truth about this this song and um, the history of his friend Carter's rich white family and how exactly they got all their money. And so Seth basically is running through dimensions and time and identity and like you know just just to uncover the truth of things and he's not doing this intentionally he's being pulled in basically it's like cosmic horror-esque he is slipping through dimensions because of this weird thing that is in his brain it's like very disorienting not clear at all what's happening with seth not clear what level of control he has over this It's just like he's kind of slowly growing insane and you're not sure how true the things that are happening are or if it's just him kind of losing his mind. So um, White Tears is not an obvious horror book. It is not classified, I don't think, as horror. I think it was like published as literary fiction, but it is terrifying to me. It was, like I said, so disorienting. It is not a cute adventure story. It's not like he's romping through time and dimensions to solve a mystery. No, he's like going through a brutal experience and it is definitely horrific. Um, I already mentioned it feels very cosmic horror-y and it's one of those titles that proves that cosmic horror is actually like real and it exists as the lived experiences of marginalized groups throughout history and like 
I'll speak for the American experience, but like white Americans <laughs> historically are the destroyer of worlds. Like we are the Cthulhu. We came to this country and we were the the overwhelming um, thing that just kind of like consumed and destroyed without any kind of emotion. So that's that's like what this book is about. <laughs> Wow. And I'm not trying to get political. The book is political. That is what the book is about. So more superficially, though, the book touches on the concepts of authenticity and appropriation, um, that feeling of ownership that white America feels that it has over black art and black culture and, and other cultures as well, not just black. But this book focuses specifically on the Delta Blues and the art of black Americans and um, how some folks think they can just weasel their way into acceptance by embodying the culture without it actually being a part of their life or their lived experience. Um, and many people much smarter than me have written a ton about this idea, this concept and, and all of this. So I encourage folks to go dig in deeper if this conversation interests you. Um, but I would love to see this made into a miniseries. I feel like this is like prime miniseries material and I hope it happens one day. But I would put White Tears, I would put it in a cold fridge. Like this approaches freezer territory for me sometimes. It, it's definitely a psychological hell at times. Um, so that is White Tears by Hari Kunzru. That sounds really good. And it reminded me of um, one of the novellas in John Horner Jacobs, A Lush and Seething Hell. Have you read that? Um, I have it. <laughs> I have it. I will be reading it. Yeah, like I think it's the the second one. The it's called My Heart Struck Sorrow, and it's about a man who works with like the Library of Congress and the Folklore Division. Ooh, oh man, ooh, you were saying all the things that like make me tingle. Yes. Well, I'm so glad I already own this title, and I can just pull it off my shelf later. That's not my official pick. My official pick <laughs> is. Sleep Alone by J.A.W. McCarthy. And this is going back to the music as the culture of music coming into play because this is about Ronnie, who is a merch girl with a band that has been touring for six years nonstop. Oof. Their life is essentially late nights, dingy hotel rooms, and hoping that nobody notices the wake of bodies that these succubi leave in their wake. Oh my god, this sounds amazing. So the band and the merch girl are essentially all succubi, and they kind of use the cover of like dark clubs and bars to like <gasps> perform, feed, and like be off to their next destination. <laughs> this is perfect. I, I love this. I love what you're saying. Uh, so yeah, I do. I love the the setup of this of like, why do we do this? Why is this like the the perfect setup and the situation for someone in our, I was going to say line of work, line of, line of being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then at a show, Ronnie meets Helene, who is very sexy, very mysterious, um, she seems to have secrets of her own. She Ronnie convinces the band to let her join them on tour. So she starts like traveling around with them. Uh, they start to learn more about each other. And this is a short novella. I don't want to say too much. But at one point there is they are kind of fighting against the clock as like some of their stuff is getting discovered. And also the band 
seems to be fighting some illness that eats succubi from the inside out. So there's there's a lot. There's like her juggling feelings for this, but also there's a (laughs) lot of fires to put out right now at the moment. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This had such a rock and roll vibe. Like it was a great Mm. like sapphic story with this like kind of edgy rock atmosphere. I just had a really good time with it. Oh, it sounds great. It really does sound like a lot of fun. Yeah. So it's like if Low Shoulder were the succubi instead yes! of. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> instead of inadvertently creating one. You're right. <laughs> I would put this in the fridge. I really liked that we are reading from the perspective of the monsters. So that is Sleep Alone by J.A.W. McCarthy. That's going on my TBR immediately. Um, my next pick is Disco Death Trap by Cameron Rubick. I hope I'm saying Cameron's last name correctly. I think we said Rubik, but I'm not sure Rubik. if that was right either. That was well, just that what Rachel s- and I said. Makes sense. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, so this book comes with a playlist okay. in the back. Yes, so that. fun. And it's all really great disco and roller rink hits. Um, lots of 70s, 80s, very energetic, lots of ABBA, um, that kind of thing. A really good time. So Disco Death Trap is set on New Year's Eve. Um, between It's 1980 into 1981. And a group of high school students are super pumped for their lock-in at the Rollerville Roller Disco. And they're going to be celebrating the new year by boogieing down on the rink to all the hits the best buds and all their sweethearts and everyone's going to be together and it's going to be a party and they're going to get to show off their sweet moves and it's just going to be a really great time but as the clock rings in 1981 the year of blood begins (laughs) so what the kids never really considered was that the roller rink was built on a graveyard and what they didn't know was that not all the bodies were moved so a crazed killer dressed like the Grim Reaper Father Time, you know, like the baby and Father <laughs> yes. Time that they do. <laughs> yeah. So dressed like the Father Time one. Okay. Is like slicing and dicing its way through all of these celebrating students. And um, high schooler Dan and Rollerville employee Denise do everything they can to survive because it would be a real shame if they got slashed to death before being able to go on their first proper date. Um, But who's the killer? Is it a disgruntled Rollerville employee, an unhinged community member, a fellow student with revenge in their heart, or is it ghosts from the graveyard? (laughs) We don't know. They moved the headstones. (laughs) They moved the headstones, but they didn't move the bodies. (laughs) I love that. You know, it's always, it's a classic. Yeah. Um, But this is, again, this is just, it's a classic slasher, super fun. Um, The music, the use of music is great. So if this were a movie, it would have excellent needle drops throughout it. And this is an example of music being used to set the scene and kind of um, create the feeling of the story. Music isn't used as a tool or as a conduit or anything like that. Like White Tears, music is a conduit kind of and, and represents a larger context. But in Disco Death Trap, it's just a fun element to the story. And um, I would say that this is kind of, again, fridge freezer territory. There is a lot of gnarly gore in this one. There are some sick kills, some really nasty descriptions, um, but it's really fun. So, uh, yes, that is Disco Death Trap by Cameron Rubik. 
I love that. I've read part of his like one slasher trilogy, Kill River. I've read the first Kill River. I think I own the second Kill River and have not gotten to it yet, but I've heard good things. And this has been on my list too. I've heard really good things about the Kill River series. I want to read those too. His stuff is fun. Yeah, they're fun. It's really fun. Mm -hmm. Okay, my next pick is Wilding Hall by Elizabeth Hand. And this is the same Elizabeth Hand who wrote the new book that's in the Haunting of Hill House universe. The title is, of course, Escaping Me because all titles escape me as soon as there's a microphone (laughs) in front of me. (laughs) But this is about an acid folk rock band who in the 70s are compelled to record their music and they decide that when they do this, they want to stay in an old country house, Wilding Hall. They record the album that makes their careers, but their lead singer disappears while they're staying at the house and is never seen again. And what you as the reader are reading is the transcript for a documentary that is being done like however many years later about they're interviewing like the band members. There's a psychic um, and interviewing them about like what they remember about that summer or that time when they were staying there recording the album. They interview the photographer who like shot the like iconic picture that became the album art for that album. I liked getting different perspectives, different people describing the same event and then being like slightly off. Like you could mm-hmm. see like, I remember it this way and I remember yeah. it happening. <laughs> I remember it happening this way. And that part as a reader was really fun to like connect the dots and like see like the tricks that memory plays on us. Um, oh yeah. But this is a perfect read like If you liked daisy jones and the six because it is that same setup but it's like gothic and spooky this would be really good if there are librarians listening if you have patrons who like daisy jones and the six but want to try something spookier this is a great one to suggest i've really liked this one um i will say it's pretty room temperature i think it's a little more on the like lighter side of things but i just i loved the documentary setup and the transcripts and people kind of like reminiscing about how this was like and the role that the success of the music made on their life and also the trauma of you know losing someone yeah like it was a lot and i i really liked it so that is wilding hall by elizabeth hand every time i look at this and it says acid folk rock i keep thinking <laughs> of like i don't have to pretend i like acid rock yes <laughs> oh yes i love it what a perfect and that is a fun genre to have mixed in this because like those people can <laughs> Sorry, folks. They can be insufferable. (laughs) And the music itself lends itself to disorientation and to uh, transcendence, if you will, whatever. Um, So and also anything that's an element of folk can be tied to old murder ballads or like old traditions, especially in Appalachia and whatnot. Um, So I think it's fun to have that one of the genres featured. So now my picks are going to be getting into the satanic panic territory that we have mentioned multiple times. And it's just such a perfect setup for incorporating music into horror. Um, My next pick is not actually a horror book, but you'll see why I picked it in a minute. Uh, It's Hell Patrol by R.D. Tarver, which came out in 2020 from Fourth Mansions Press, which is an independent publisher. And this is more of a sci-fi fantasy adventure, but... 
it does have um, it has the satanic panic element and it has some very interesting and graphic scenes of gore so there are also some spooky parts to it too so i wouldn't say that it's like that horror is completely off the table with this one i just wouldn't say that it is the uh, main flavor of this book if you liked eddie munson in stranger things that is this book basically it's like if we had something devoted to eddie munson it would be hell patrol so hell patrol is set in the mid-1990s amidst the late stage satanic panic and it follows a misfit teen named jesse jesse along with his mom and his stepdad and his adult brother all move back to his mom's hometown in oklahoma where Jesse quickly makes friends with other misfits, so he kind of creates his his crew, which is nice. And the thing that brings them all together is metal music, specifically Judas Priest. So Jesse's older brother Rick, who um, he is, it, he uses a chair. He became paralyzed from the waist down after a horrible motorcycle crash. Um, he's a massive Judas Priest fan, and he always makes Jesse tapes of all the new albums that he gets. So when the book opens, Rick has just gotten a hold of Judas Priest's Painkiller, um, which is an incredible album. If people haven't heard Painkiller, if you like metal or if you're interested in listening to some metal, Painkiller is like, I love it so much. It is such a good album. I feel like it might be Judas Priest's best album. And it also, I think, is like implicated in some true crime stuff. That's what it's, yeah, that was like mentioned. That is my understanding of Judas Mm -hmm. Priest is from, or that is my cultural reference point for Judas Priest is true crime. Yeah. So there's like murders that happened and it was like blamed on this Mm -hmm. album (laughs) or an album before. I don't know. Um, But Judas Priest was definitely uh invoked <laughs> i thought you were gonna say it was in the tipper gore well that too i yeah, mean sure. yes yeah that was part of it too that this was all during the time when tipper gore was on her crusade to get like that parental advisory sticker put on albums and that is an interesting piece of music history if you're interested in that listeners like there's a bunch of great podcast episodes about that um i think like you're wrong about yes you're wrong about does a really good one on that um so jesse bonds with his new friends over painkiller and um soon learns that they have a band and oh lucky lucky him they need a bass player and jesse plays bass so he joins their band and um that is a huge honor in high school if you get asked to join a band it is just the greatest thing in the world (laughs) so They decide to name their band Hell Patrol after the second track on Painkiller as an homage to how they all became friends. And uh, so Jesse and his friends soon get busy becoming uh, legitimately good at playing metal music and playing gigs around town and doing silly teen shit like playing in abandoned mines and and uh, then you know weird things start to happen around town and Jesse and his friends are kind of distracted until it starts to affect them um, kids start to go missing in school Jesse and his friends have creepy experiences with dog-like creatures and then like rumblings start to kick up about the influence of Satan and metal music on the teens around town and some very influential voices in the church start to um, blame metal music on all of the tragedies that are happening in their town and classic satanic panic textbook stuff. Kids have to like burn their albums. They're all like grounded and on lockdown and they can't dress the way they want to dress and they can't 
express themselves the way they want to express themselves. Um, but unknown to Jesse and almost almost everyone else in town, hell is a real place. And Hell's minions are getting a bit feisty. So soon, Jesse and Hell Patrol find themselves in a situation where they have to harness the pure awesomeness of metal music to defeat dark powers, both in the human dimension and beyond. So this book, yeah, it's extremely fun. It's absolutely, absolutely a romp. Like when I was like writing a little review of it and reading other people's reviews, the word romp was mentioned in like every review. (laughs) People have a blast reading this book. Um, The characters are charming and delightful and the world is really imaginative. And it does a good job of showing what it was like for some kids during the satanic panic, um, basically being persecuted for just enjoying a certain kind of music or dressing a certain way or just not belonging in a conventional society so it it's a really great coming of age story and i really want rd tarver to write more books like i he's a musician in oklahoma i think he's a metal musician in oklahoma and he wrote this book and it like popped up on my instagram and i was like well looks like a thing i need to have so i bought it and i just really need him uh please to write more (laughs) this was so good uh it was some of the most fun i've ever had reading a book honestly um this is room temperature this book is not terribly scary although i will say there are definitely some um brutal images in terms of like gore so maybe it's not quite room temperature perhaps it is a bit fridge worthy uh and there are a couple jump scares you know there's a couple scenes especially when they go into the mines that get a little spooky but overall it's the same level as stranger things i know stranger things gets used a lot as a comparison but this it's very comparable in terms of like scare factor and tone so that is hell patrol by rd tarver i know you've been talking about this like since you read it i know you had a really good time (laughs) yeah uh, my last pick is Schrader's Chord by Scott Leeds. This came out this year, and I was so excited about reading this, but also that all of the promo for this book, like the visual yes. like promos were so awesome, Art, yeah. like the art style. They were amazing. Props to that team who did that. It They had this like vintage ad feel to them. This is about Charlie Remick, who is a musician, and he is going home for his estranged father's funeral after his mysterious death. There, he learns that his father left him the keys to his record shop and four mysterious records that could open a gate to the land of the dead. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Thanks. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Just what I wanted. <laughs> so the thing with these records is and i thought this was really cool like a really cool part they all have to be like put down and like played at the exact same time so there's like a scene where they're like all at the record store and it's he his sister and like two record store employees oh my god why would they do this (laughs) stop guys don't yeah so they they play them and basically immediately they can all see dead people oh and they know that they are all marked for death. Oh, my God. And so now, like, the only person that can save them is the ghost of Charlie's dad. He's trying to, well, like, walk, it, walk them through how to fix yeah. this. <laughs> it's on him. It was, it was a lot of, like, you did what? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. No, no, no. 
I had a really good time with this. I thought the character work in this was really good. I felt like the relationships, the setting, everything felt really lived in. Like I felt Mm -hmm. like these were real characters. Like I found myself like genuinely like rooting for people. And I also feel like 2023 has been the year for like, I feel like a lot of things, cursed objects, (laughs) vampires, but it's also been the year for like books about weird relationships with your parents. Ooh, definitely. Like mommy, yes. mommy, daddy issues. Like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did enjoy that part of it as well. Like coming to terms with grief. And I mean, like coming to terms with grief when you can actually talk to your like deceased mm. father Ooh. Um, and talk about things and kind of like hash things out. I, I had a really good time with this. I loved the atmosphere. I There was some genuinely like really creepy moments and imagery i also i love i love a cursed record yes and i know i mentioned (laughs) (laughs) i mentioned in like the new releases episode when i talked about it i'm like why is it always a record though why is it never like a cursed hit clip like can you imagine (laughs) if it was like when something bad was 30 seconds of britney spears over and over again (laughs) it would definitely make it a little more palatable (laughs) I'd be like, okay, I can handle it. <laughs> oh, I would love to see that. I would too. Someone needs to make this happen, please. Like a haunted, like NSYNC bit or something. Yes, yes. Oh, beautiful. Rating wise, I would say this is fridge. This had a lot of terrifying imagery. I think the concept of like a cursed vinyl records that can open up like a portal to mm-hmm. <laughs> open up the portal not necessarily the hell but like can open up the like gate between the, the living and the dead um and people just trying to get through their normal day and seeing like dead people Ugh. is is a lot to deal with but it was also very heartfelt mm-hmm. and i felt like that was a good balance for it i had a really good time with this so that is schrader's cord by scott leeds I am so excited to read that book. I pre-ordered it. I have it. It's in my bedroom, like in the little stack of books right next to my bed, my immediate TBR. I did not pick it up because I knew you were going to read it for this episode and I prioritized other books so that I could have my books to talk about. But it is like next up. I am so pumped. I When I heard about this book, coming out I like freaked out and I haven't hit the pre-order button faster in my life I don't think so I really um I'm gonna relish my experience reading Schroeder's Court I think yeah I can't wait to hear what you think yeah um okay so I actually I cheated I have four books so I have one more book um and my last pick is Hell's Bells by Lisa Quigley and this is part of the Rewind or Die series um and this came out in 2020 from Unnerving And this is an indie published novella. It's a coming of age story. It's a lot about female friendships. Um, And again, this is one that's also satanic panic related. So Hell's Bells follows a group of four girlfriends in high school during the satanic panic more in the 80s than the 90s. And um, it follows them as they work through all of the trials and tribulations of life and interpreting their beliefs and how that affects their friendships with one another during this crucial time. You know, teenagers, your lives are changing a lot. So your friendships change pretty quickly in high school. And that can be hard. That can be very heartbreaking, challenging, emotionally draining. 
Um, and that is a lot of what this book is about. So Sasha, Haley, Jessica, and Tiffany are not conventional teen girls. They love music. They dress in different alternative styles. They aren't concerned with the expectations of adults around them until Haley starts to change. She starts dressing like she's on the honor roll and spouting holier-than-thou nonsense from a church she's been attending, and this really messes with the dynamic of the group. Sasha feels like she's losing her friend, and that, and and with her friend, she's losing her only faith, which is Queen and Freddie Mercury specifically. Um, Haley is directly challenging all of their their loves of music and their alternative style and the things that they have held so close. And it's kind of just like causing chaos in the group. But one day shit really hits the fan and Haley goes too far in her proselytizing. And much of that focuses on rock music that they all love. And um, it really gets out of hand, like real bad. (laughs) Like things go very very wrong pretty quickly and Sasha decides that they need to prove to Haley once and for all that that God does not exist and the way they're going to prove that is by trying to summon the devil because oh. if they can summon the devil then uh, then I guess God does exist because if the devil exists then God must exist right but if they try to summon the devil and the devil doesn't show up then that must mean that God doesn't exist either because in Haley's faith you need to have both that's like plan Z. Like, how do you there? <laughs> I know she jumped right in. She's right into the deep end. <laughs> so, um, so with this like airtight plan, yeah. um, <laughs> they try to um, engage in a satanic summoning ritual, uh, something that one of the girls has found in like her abuela's book of sorts that she has. She's like, I think my grandma's done something like this. Let's try it. So they do abuela's uh, summoning ritual and something happens. Um, but is it Satan that the girls really need to be worried about? Or is it somebody else that the girls really need to be worried about? And I can't really, I don't want to spoil anymore because that's really the heart and guts of the book. Um, But through this very traumatic experience that is very intense in the book, the thing that gives Sasha strength is her love of Queen and her love of Freddie Mercury. And she feels Freddie Mercury, who had recently passed away in this timeline of the book, she feels him there with her, helping to support her. And she relies on the music of Queen to give her strength to heal her friendships, basically, with the other girls and to kind of fight through their differences and decide, like, how they're going to move forward. Um, There is so much, like, intense gross stuff that happens in a very short period of time in this book like a very small amount of pages and that it's great I mean you're just gonna like blast through this because it's a novella it's already short but once it picks up it like goes it really gets going um and as I mentioned like like in Hell Patrol this has a lot of similarities to Hell Patrol but I really liked that this was a tight-knit group of of girls of young women um but music is used as a powerful tool against evil it's used as 
um, kind of a, a self-empowering thing where you you identify who you are as a person through your music and you use the music to draw power from in you to stand up for your values. And I think a lot of us have that experience. I think a lot of us feel that music gives that to us and it is a, a wonderful thing that we can access through music. So I think that this that um, Hell's Bells would probably fall into Fridge because of the gore in that short period of time. Most of it is is not too, most of it's not gory or scary or anything. But like I said, that like short chunk of like extremely intense stuff is pretty intense. So I would put it in the fridge. Um, there is a scene in particular with leeches that really got to me. So if you know heads up for that um but that is hell's bells by lisa quigley i love that i've had this actually on my kindle for a few years now yeah so you should. I, it's a great afternoon read i need to get to it i just can't get over it this is their first plan i know this is the first plan they come up with <laughs> things go awry very fast yeah <laughs> there were so many books that we didn't mention or that we Mm -hmm. didn't get around to like I don't think either of us read heart-shaped box by Joe Hill because I know that's one that's mentioned everywhere too yeah yeah well I figured it's been out for a while yeah (laughs) people probably know about it (laughs) I feel like we sold our souls has gotten a few Mm -hmm. mentions this year but of course I love out out here yeah, I loved We Sold Our Souls. I know it's kind of a um, hit or miss one for people in Grady Hendrick's lineup, but it is very strong for me in his books. It's like probably my favorite one. I need to reread it. Well, as oh. someone who, like, as I was reading it, I was like, Grady Hendrix really knows what he's talking about when he's talking about, like, metal bands and the metal scene. And that was really fun. Yeah, I did not listen to a ton of metal when I read it so I feel like I need to read it with like yeah. the context I have now to yeah enjoy it you you have a different I enjoyed it the first time like I was definitely mm-hmm. like I it's a Grady Hendrix book like I had a great time but I'll yeah. have different context now mm-hmm. um I was gonna mention your favorite band cannot save you I read it so long ago though but that is about a music blogger who um finds out about this band and he kind of starts like following them around writing stuff up on them and there's just like something weird about them and like everyone who listens to them becomes like addicted to their music and there's other stuff going on it's a very it's a very tiny book so I don't (laughs) want to get into it too much also it was a very long time ago and I don't think I can remember what Mm -hmm. the stuff was that was going on to be honest (laughs) (laughs) we read so many books in a year it's hard to keep track of everything (laughs) i was looking at it and i'm like i remember stuff happened in this but i don't remember (laughs) something happened the book had a plot i do know that (laughs) i remember enjoying it yes (laughs) yeah so i i also had so many books that popped into my head for this um should i get into my list yeah okay so I read, I also read A Song for Quiet by Cassandra Kaw, which is a very short novella. Maybe it's even like shorter than a novella. It's not long at all. And this is a cosmic horror about another blues musician 
where music is being used to basically like open the portal for old gods to come in. At least that's that's what I was picking up on. It's a very short read, so things are sparse, but it was really interesting. Um, it really played on that kind of connection, the, the blues connection with cosmic horror. I feel like that's when I see blues pop up a lot is like in context of cosmic horror. I find that so interesting because the other one I was going to mention like this is The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval, which he's a musician so like again cosmic horror nod all of that so so that's really interesting to me that these two things like seem to be connected again and again i mentioned this earlier in the episode that i read um festival by christopher golden and tom levin which this this is the one where folks go to a music festival and then shit hits the fan at the music festival but what's happening is it's the site of an old Viking massacre where like the Vikings were massacred. It's in England and the Vikings were massacred. And so now their spirits are rising back up to take vengeance. And it's just like an, a bloodbath of like Viking ghosts just killing everyone at this music festival. And this is like a music festival with a bunch of different kinds of music. Like they, they mentioned Billie Eilish is playing. Um, and there, yeah, there's like all different kinds of stuff happening at this music festival. And you follow a couple characters. And um, it's, this, again, is a very short read. It also has really cool illustrations in it. So it was a really enjoyable read and um really fun and an interesting take and the music is used as a weapon in this one and it kind of like bewitches people and it causes harm to bodies and things like that it's really gnarly scenes i've been saying gnarly a lot this episode but i really don't know how else it's like gross yeah right yeah gnarly (laughs) um and then I have a couple other ones to mention here so this is a unique one i think but violet by scott thomas uses music wonderfully as a horror element music is used in violet to invoke horror it becomes like a trigger for the horror when you start to hear the music music is used as a trigger in violet so like when you start to hear the music that means the horror is happening it's being used by the agent of horror to instill fear and this one actually is a mixtape so it's the mixtape isn't necessarily cursed but the mixtape is being used in a way that is absolutely horrific and terrifying i loved violet so much and the musical choices are excellent it will make you be terrified of blackbird by the beatles Mm. so violet is a wonderful one to pick up if you want to see music being used very creatively for for creating a, an element of dread and terror. Um, <laughs> so I really like Violet by Scott Thomas. And then I have a couple more. So I know Fever House by Keith Rawson came out recently and that follows musicians. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't read it, but um, it looks really fun. I definitely fun. want to. Yeah. And then I've got two that aren't actually really horror, but I think listeners will be interested. So Sylvia Moreno Garcia has a book called Signal to Noise, which seems more science fiction fantasy. And this is like, again, this one was uh, compared to Stranger Things, but it's about teens who use music to harness magic Mm -hmm. and then they have to go, you know go on a mission or something like that. And um, yeah, so that one's more like science fiction fantasy adventure. And then a recent release from this past year 
is Gone to the Wolves by John Ray. And this seems more like a thriller. I don't think that it's really horror. And I'm, it seems more in the thriller camp or literary camp. Um, but this follows a group of friends who are metal fans. And they kind of drift apart as life you know, we'll do to close-knit friend groups. And then one of the friends goes missing under very mysterious circumstances. And the rest of the friends have to gather, you know, assemble the crew and figure out what the hell happened to her. And music seems to be a very important part of this book. The cover is incredible. It has the hairy font that it uses, like that metal hairy font for the font of um, the title of the book. And it's like a really beautiful cover, in my opinion. Um, so those, and there are so many more out there, I'm sure. And if anybody has uh, really fun, like music horror recommendations, like I absolutely want them. Please send them my way. I will read all of them. Yeah, it's a fun, it was a fun subgenre to dive into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, should we talk chilling obsessions? Yes. Yes, we should. I know you want to talk about yours. Yes. <laughs> so I, I'm sure I'm not the only person who knows about this, but I am in love with the new Goosebumps show that is um, both on Disney Plus and Hulu. It's updated weekly on Disney Plus, and I'm not sure when this episode is going to come out. So maybe it's all out. Like maybe the whole first season is out already. But I right now it's updated every Friday, and on Disney or on Hulu they did the first five episodes, and then they'll probably put the last five episodes up when it's finished. So if you have either Hulu or Disney Plus, you can watch this. And it's just I thought it was going to be stupid. I thought it was going to be like. I don't know, a little too silly, but it's not. It's like if you enjoy teen dramas, you know, let's say you're a fan of uh, The Vampire Diaries or something like that. It is kind of like that, but like less dramatic. And it uses all of these really fun elements from the Goosebumps books that we all love and have a a fondness for, like a soft spot for. It ties a lot of those... um, plots from those books together in one cohesive story in a really, really impressive way. And Justin Long is in it, and he's kind of like emerged as a new scream queen for this era, and he's excellent in it. He's super fun. He does some great body work. <laughs> he's doing a lot of body acting. <laughs> and um, it's just really fun. It's really, really fun. It's like the highlight of my week (laughs) Friday hits and I'm done with work and I can get my ice cream and watch my goosebumps and that might sound really sad but you know what it's giving me life it's keeping me alive so (laughs) I love the new goosebumps show I hope other people are enjoying it too I did watch the first episode of it and I agree it has like a darker vibe than what I was expecting and I think Mm -hmm. my expectations were not super high because I did not like the design for the new slappy and I was kind of like Mm -hmm. "Mm." but Mm -hmm. Even my grumpy self was like, okay, this is pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It gets pretty dark. Yeah. My chilling obsession is Totally Killer, the slasher on Amazon Prime with Kiernan Shipka and Julie Bowen. Um, actually, Julie Bowen's not in it for long because she's the mom in the adult timeline. But she has such a good role, though. Oh, my yeah. God. Claire from Modern Family. Um. <laughs> You're following like 
I was going to say Claire from Modern Family and Kiernan Shipka <laughs> is her daughter. And <laughs> she essentially was like the only survivor of um, a slew of murders like that happened when she was in high school. And so that happened on like around Halloween. So she does not want to let her daughter go out on Halloween. The daughter like convinces her that it's it's fine. And then for reasons, I don't want to like give too much away. <laughs> Kiernan Shipka does end up time traveling back yes. to the 80s and sees her mom in high school and has to like prevent the murders and try to like save her and her friends. And it's just so funny because her mom is so mean. She's so mean. She's like oh my the God. biggest bully. <laughs> <laughs> and she obviously cannot tell her that she is her daughter from the future. So it adds a lot of shenanigans. But I want to pair with that another obsession I have had, which was this book I got. Um, it's a Quirk Books book. It's called Paperback Crush. The Totally Radical History of 80s and 90s Teen Fiction. Ooh. And it is like paperbacks from hell that it's kind of like the big kind of guidebook, glossy pages, and it's all the like vintage paperback covers and kind of like the history. And I'm only in the first chapter because I have truly been taking my time with this. And the first chapter is all like romance and like the different like romance books and like romance series and surprising diversity. Like I did not know that there were sapphic romances, sapphic teen romances in the 80s. No. And granted, they were not a lot. They were not as accessible. (laughs) and right. diverse as we have today but like they were they, did, they they existed um so it's been really interesting and she does have like interviews um with authors like rl stein wrote some teen romances Ooh, for yeah. like series mm-hmm. i didn't know that mm-hmm. <laughs> and there is like i am of course excited to get to like the horror chapter with like christopher pike yes keep hitting yes. the mic with like christopher pike and rl stein um so I'm I'm really excited about that. Like I said, I just finished the romance one, so it was a lot of like Judy Bloom, like forever, mm, yeah, mm-hmm. um, type stuff, and a lot of stuff I had never heard of. Oh yeah, there's just like so much. They they was so much published back then, yeah, and it was like you know those were things that I would stumble upon in my school library and also in my mom's library when I was a kid. She was working at the public library, and I would just like stumble on those. So I I definitely need to get my hands on this book because I think just flipping through it is going to be just a straight shot yeah. of nostalgia to my veins. Oh my gosh, if I want to borrow it, let me know. Oh yeah, yeah it definitely. is so fun to flip through. So yeah, I would pair those two together. Mm-hmm. Like totally killer and paperback crush. Yeah. Totally radical totally... history totally radical history of 80s and 90s teen fiction. <laughs> totally killer is was really fun. I watched that too. It's just like so cute and mm-hmm. sweet and a funny thing I thought about the movie that happens a couple times when she goes back to the 80s and there are all of these like super offensive things yes. that happen that happen like, that whoa, were like whoa, whoa. unwanted touch unwanted touch like all of this stuff that that was so normal in the 80s and the 80s was like a brutal time for teenagers and she has she cannot 
like stand on her two feet in the 80s she's getting chewed up and spit out and everyone is so class? nasty oh my they're god like there's just blood pelting, pouring out of everyone's face pelting her with dodgeballs and she's like this <laughs> yeah. is just this is just loud and i'm like i guess that's just the 80s the 80s yeah. were just like that it was like there's a free-for-all there was no adults there was no mm. rules apparently yeah and it's so funny like having this teen from who was basically raised in the 20 teens yeah going back to the 80s and like the differences between the kids it's uh, it was very cute and funny very like final girls-esque it's different but i can definitely see the final girls comparison you know what love them both both yeah absolutely yeah yeah they're sweet and they're fun Mm -hmm. it is time for our second tradition which is of course really appropriate for this theme yes so what is your final girl song so I feel like I'm going to disappoint this time. I have been on the show several times. I have offered uh, multiple stylings of Final Girl songs, and they're all added on the playlist. So I thought I would just call out two songs that were mentioned in the books that I read that serve as Final Girl songs for the characters. Oh. So the first one is Hell Patrol by Judas Priest, and it is a great Final Girl song. It really is like a pulling up the power from within like right when you think you're about to collapse and die like no we're the hell patrol we're gonna ride into the night kind of thing um and then seven seas of rye by queen is sasha's um final girl song basically that is the song that brings her power in hell's bells um So I wanted to call both of those out and add those to the playlist if they're not there already. And uh, I'll do a better job of preparing a different final girl song for my next guest appearance on Books in the Freezer. love that. (laughs) I wanted to add one this time. I was going back and forth on like a lot of stuff. And I'm like, should I do like a rock one? But I won't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I've been listening to a lot of Bad Omens lately, but it just, like, wasn't the vibe that I was looking for right now. Mm -hmm. So I am instead going to go the girly pop indie route and go with My Kink is Karma. (gasps) Yes! Oh, my God! (laughs) I'm so happy you're picking this song. (laughs) By Chapel Roan, because I feel like it has, like, my boyfriend was the killer, I killed him, and now I will do my happy dance over your dead body. (laughs) Yes! Oh my god, I did briefly consider no no shit. I briefly considered the song. Bring Are you up serious? Yes, I love that song so much. I'm so excited to go see her Yay. live, and, which is another and, live show we will go to together. Yes, yes, and we will be very excited when she plays this song. Yeah. This song is such energy. It's such just like fuck you energy. It's mm-hmm. amazing. It's like, I am smiling while you are ruining your life. And it's making me so happy. Yes. I am getting power from you destroying yourself. I feel like it really works. So hopefully someone will add a little little sprinkle of Chapel Roan on a horror soundtrack sometime. Yes. Yes. We can only hope. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on. Well, there was something you wanted to mention. Yes. Oh, yes. Thank you for, for reminding me. <laughs> so um, this is more specifically for librarians listening, but I am a librarian and I am a member of the Horror Writers Association. Librarians can be members of the Horror Writers Association. Um, there are different tiers that you can join at. Um 
that designate your level of participation in the group. And librarians are very welcome. There are a lot of us who are members and it's a lovely um, community to be a part of if you enjoy horror fiction and you want to talk more to authors about their work and collaborate with them directly on things like programming for your library or reader's advisory and things like that. So um, I am also in the Horror Writers Association part of the Library Advisory Council. So if there are any librarians or authors out there who are interested in um, how they can connect with each other more efficiently, um, librarians, if you're interested in how to host uh, horror-themed programming in your library or um, bring authors to visit and do readings or um, give talks or, you know, just if you're just interested in how to support horror in your library and gauge interest for the genre, please reach out to me um, or you can reach out to other members of the Library Advisory Council. I am on Instagram at Forgotten Corners. I am uh, still kind of on X, but like not really. I'm fully <laughs> I'm, out of there. I fully, yeah. I fully transitioned to Threads. Yeah, I'm. I'm on. Yeah, I'm definitely on Threads. On again, Forgotten Corners. I'm on Blue Sky, Forgotten Corners. I'm on Substack, okay. Forgotten Corners, <laughs> and my X is um, Forgotten Corners without any vowels because my name was going to be too long for Twitter with the vowels. So if you just write forgotten corners and then delete all of the vowels, that's my that's my handle on X. But again, I'm I'm not really there anymore. But you can DM me or message me however and ask for more information about any of that. Um, the other librarians on the advisory council are like super cool people and we love sharing our ideas and things that we've tried and anything we can do to help you in your journey in incorporating more horror programming into your library. Yeah, so I will have to add those links to the show notes to add as resources for any librarians listening looking to add more horror. Excellent, yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about music horror. Yes, thank you so much for being game for this episode. This was super fun. We got to read some really cool books yeah. and watch some cool movies, and yeah. our lists have just grown. Mm -hmm. So we'll have plenty to enjoy in the future as well. For sure. Books in the Fraser is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on threads, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Books in the Freezer. Or you can send us an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com where you will find a list of all the books mentioned in this episode. If you would like to support the podcast, there are a few ways to do that, and some of them can be found on the show notes at booksinthefreezer.com. There are links to the Books in the Freezer Patreon, as well as some affiliate links. There are ways to support the podcast without spending any money, like sharing about the show on social media or leaving a review on a site like Apple Podcasts. I am Stephanie. Thank you for listening, and see you next time on books in the freezer.